Welcome, everybody. Welcome to those of you who are joining us via social media. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, we are in part three of a four-part series called Reply All. We are answering topical uh, questions in response to a survey we did on Easter where you said you want biblical answers to the following. And so we compiled all the survey results. Here are the top four things just to review real quickly. The number one thing you guys wanted to learn about from Scripture was how to handle stress. By the way, if you missed that message, you can either go to our Facebook page and watch it or our website. We have all the sermons documented via video there. Um, but that was the number one requested thing, stress. How do I handle stress? What does the Bible say about that? Number two, this was last week we talked about forgiveness, something we can all relate to, something we, a skill we all need to learn is how to forgive and why to forgive. And we answered four questions about forgiveness last week. Today we're going to be talking about the family. In particular, how God loves to bless a righteous family. We're going to be talking about that. And then next week we'll conclude with this. How do I discover God's plan for my life? So let's jump right in. I'm going to start in Proverbs today. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 33. Proverbs, of course, written by King Solomon, the wisest guy on the planet. And he writes this, and it's so powerful. Proverbs 3.33, the Lord's curse. That seems like strong language, doesn't it? The Lord's curse, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. God longs to bless our families. He longs to have us obey his commands, to walk in obedience to his word, and he longs to pour out blessings on his people. If you're a parent here today, you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing, there's no greater joy for a parent than to see their children walking in truth and to see them blessed in this life. It just brings, it warms your heart when you see that your children are doing well. That's how God feels about his kids. He wants to pour out his blessing on the righteous. The righteous family lives blessed. The wicked family lives cursed. Have you ever seen some of those families that generation after generation, they're going through the same addictions, the same strife, the same financial trials over and over again. It's like they never learn. It's like they, they see, seem cursed and they'll say, you know, I think our family's cursed. How many know in Christ you can reverse the curse if that's been your family past? Yes? yes. You can reverse the curse in Christ. But when we talk about the righteous family being blessed, what do we mean by righteous? I want to just take a moment to explain this a little bit, but righteous is what you think it, it is. It's morally right or justifiable. It's, it's virtuous. It's good. It's upright, upstanding, decent, ethical, principled, moral, law-abiding, just, honest, innocent, faultless, honorable, blameless, guiltless, sinless, uncorrupted, angelic, pure, noble, pious, God-fearing, justifiable, justified, legitimate. How many know it? Just what you think it is. That's what righteous is. And of course, the antonym would be wicked, sinful, evil, unjustifiable. So God blesses the righteous in homes and families that are righteous. And God curses. That seems like a strong word. It just blows me away. But how many know it's the Bible? He curses the wicked. 
If you want an Old Testament example of this, go to Deuteronomy 28. It doesn't get any clearer than this. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God is saying, listen, I have conditional promises that I give my people, and it's conditional upon their understanding, their obedience to my commands. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first several verses, he talks about how if you fully obey me, then I'm going to bless you in the city, you're going to be blessed in the country, I'm going to bless your towns, I'm going to bless your business, I'm going to bless your children, I'm going to bless your food, wherever you go you'll be blessed, I'm going to scatter your enemies, whatever you do is going to be blessed, just like this grace just follows you everywhere you go. Remember, it was David who said, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, the hounds of heaven, goodness, mercy, just following me everywhere I go, why, it's the blessing of God. How many want to live in the blessing of God, the grace of God, the, the open heaven, the blessing? Thank you, God, that when we sin and we repent, we're forgiven and we get back into the flow, the land flowing with milk and honey. On the other hand, if you refuse to obey my commands and you want a, you want a tough read, look at the second part of Deuteronomy chapter 8 where God said, listen, if you don't obey me, if you, don't, if you refuse to follow my commands, these curses are going to be on you. Your business will be cursed. Your family will be cursed. Your health will be cursed. He says you'll get the botch of Egypt. What is the botch of Egypt? I have no idea, and I never want to find out. We don't want botches. Botches are not good. The point is, God wants to bless your family. God wants to bless your life. And to the extent that we walk in obedience to His Word... He will bless us. Now, this concept of righteousness sometimes can be a bit confusing because the Bible says this, there's none righteous, no, not one. On the other hand, the Bible tells us to be righteous and God blesses the righteous. So is there a conflict here? Well, I don't believe there is. Let me just explain real quickly a couple of uh, biblical doctrines that talk about righteousness. One is the doctrine of justification. Justification means to be acquitted of guilt. It means you're declared or you're made righteous. So on the one sense, yes, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags when it comes to this issue of salvation. We are not saved by our own righteousness. The doctrine of justification is this. We are saved by Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That we are made right before God because of what Christ Jesus has done. It's called imputed righteousness. Christ's righteousness becomes ours. Our guilt is transferred to Him. By faith, we're made righteous. We're declared righteous. We're going to heaven because of Christ's righteousness, not our own. Amen? Amen. So once you understand justification, now we have to understand this process of what we call sanctification. It's the process of being set apart unto God, of, of being, made right, uh, not being made holy, doing the right things. It's a process. How many know you're instantly justified in God's sight, acquitted of your guilt by faith in Christ, but the process of sanctification takes a lifetime to work out of doing right things, good things, holy things. How many know none of us are there yet? We all have secret little hidden sins, things we're battling with, we all stumble in many ways. And that process of growing in Christ, of looking like Christ, of growing in holiness is the kind of righteousness we're talking about here. First Peter 3.12, 
Peter is quoting now David in Psalm 34. He said, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Do you feel like your prayers are breaking through? Do you feel like God sees what's going on and he's pleased? That's the home of the righteous. That's the blessing of God. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Wickedness, lawlessness. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the question is, do you want to be a home, a family, where God's blessing rests, or do you want the curses on your family? Let me show you scripturally now three ingredients for a righteous family, how to have a righteous family, how it starts, what our responsibility as a righteous family is, and and what that looks like, knowing that in Christ we're made righteous, and knowing that I have a responsibility to grow in my faith and obedience to the Word of God. So, the first thing is this, righteousness starts in a home when someone draws a line in the sand and says, I'm going to lead in this area of spirituality. And if you are a man here and you're married, that is your role. Now, whether you choose to take that role or not, it's up to you. And your wife could know more of the Bible than you. She could be smarter than you. She's certainly better looking than you. But that doesn't matter. It's still your role, if you're the husband, to be the spiritual leader. And don't let someone else kind of superimpose on you what that looks like. Let your own faith and walk with God be genuine, but let it be you. Let it be your walk with God. And draw a line in the sand for your family and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, if you're a a single person, you set the tone in your home, whether you have children or not. You decide, okay, am I going to walk in obedience to the word of God? Am I going to serve the Lord as a single person? Or am I just going to kind of blend in with my friends, you know, and just kind of do what other people are doing? Or am I going to serve the Lord? It starts with leadership. Young people, if you're here, a student, I know it gets real hard for students. I remember what it was like. You know, you feel like a ham sandwich at a Jewish picnic (laughs) sometimes when you're in school and you're like the only Christian in the room. You feel like you're out of place. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Sorry. I did find out in the DNA test that I am part Jewish. So does that give me a a pass? I don't know. When we look at the nation of Israel, of course, what what God did with Israel is a type and shadow of what he does with the church, the people of God. And we see um, in Joshua, we see a leader. Remember, the, the transfer of power happened in leadership for the nation from Moses to Joshua. Joshua was Moses' servant, his right hand man. God said, Moses, you don't get to go in the promised land because you disobeyed me, but Joshua's going to lead the people, lay hands on them, and Joshua takes them across the Jordan. They fight the battles, and here we see Joshua now as the leader. And just like all of us, human nature is prone to wander from the truth of God. We want to do things our way. We think we know better than God. And so what we see here in Joshua 24, 14, and 15 is we see Joshua stepping up in a place of leadership. It says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. This is Joshua speaking to the people. Throw away the gods your ancestors ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. What gods do we worship in America? Most of us don't have those little idol Buddha thingies sitting on the... What do we worship? 
Well, it's green. Money is probably the thing we worship the most. Money, success, career, possessions, right? We love these things. And so he's telling their people, listen, don't worship these gods, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, this is verse 15, and this is a famous, two really famous phrases in here that you've probably heard before, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Have you ever done that? Have you made a conscious decision to say, you know what? I'm going to serve God, whether it's popular, whether other people believe it or not, whether I'm persecuted, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do that. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then he makes this other bold statement. And here's what I'm saying. For a, an ingredient for a righteous family, you've got to have at least one stand up and say, okay, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, hopefully, if, if you're married at least, husbands, you will do that. In some cases, it doesn't happen. And in my household growing up, that was one of those cases. My um, mother was the one who taught us the ways of the Lord. My mother led me to Christ. My mother um, was faithful to God. I have so many memories as a kid growing up, coming downstairs early before school, all the way through college, and, and there's my mother with her Bible, with her cup of coffee, talking to God. She led the family. She's the one who drew the line in the sand. Both my fathers loved them, still appreciate them. Neither really had the grit to lead the family this way. Both got into sin. The worst that I remember, of course, was my stepfather. And some of you who heard my story know what I'm talking about here. My stepfather, when his business went bad, and if you're watching, I hope you've repented. I do forgive you. Um, but it got bad. My stepfather was, his business was booming in the 80s. Remember the roaring 80s, any of you? Reagan's in, the economy's humming, and uh, they were making good money and just doing whatever we wanted to do. Things were going great, and then the economy started to go down. He made some unwise decisions, and his business started to tank. And he was faithful to church. He was leading the home spiritually for a while, and then he kind of abdicated. He checked out, got mad at God for, for him not being wise, handling money, and and he had a trucking company, and he'd start driving a little bit, and he'd be gone for a week first, and then kind of stop going to church, and then gone for a couple weeks, and gone for a month at a time, and racking up bills. Come to find out, he, about 60, got a 20-year-old girlfriend. And it's a good thing he was big, because I would have I come at him, but he was too big. You know, but I, it was heartbreaking. I remember coming down and seeing my mother. I, I had this distinct memory. I talked to her just this week to say, do you remember, Mom, when the sheriff came to the door to arrest you because he had charged up in her name without her knowing tens of thousands of dollars of debt and none of the creditors were being paid. She didn't even know about it. And the sheriff shows up at the door. And he at first denied that he was having affairs and denied all this. All the time he's not showing up at home. The debt's racking up. My mother, as you can imagine, was emotionally all over the place. 
But I'll never forget coming down one early morning before school and just hearing sobbing in the other room. And I walked in, and we had a desk, kind of like in the entryway where you'd come in, and there's my mother, tears streaming down her face, the, the Bible laid out, and she's just calling out to God. She's saying, God, I'm doing all I can. What do you want me to do? And she just was praying, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to trust you. I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? And I saw her through all that say, by her actions and by her deeds, even in the midst of all the pain and all of the sin that's going, coming against her, I am going to serve the Lord. And she did. And as you can imagine, the marriage didn't work out um, financially. God took care of her, gave her a fantastic job. Some debt got canceled from the IRS. I, she said this week, I still don't know how. It was like tens of thousands of dollars were owed to the IRS, and they just, somehow it got erased. She doesn't even know to this day how God did that. And God rebuilt her life. And I look now at the fruit of her decision not to hold bitterness in her heart. She forgave. She continued to serve God. She continued to be generous. She continued to do all the things you know, she knew she should do for her family. And I look now at my life, you know, serving God. My sister and her husband, pastor of the Rock Church in Scarborough, a thriving church of a thousand people. I'm serving God. All eight of her grandchildren are serving the Lord. All five of her great-grandchildren serving the Lord. All because one woman drew a line in the sand and said, as for me and my house, I'm not going to let this being sinned against ruin me. I am going to serve God. I'm going to keep doing the right thing. And God has blessed her and her generations after her mightily. Amen. Amen. I thank God for her. You know, God will do the same for you. He blesses the home of the righteous. He blesses those who say, I am going to serve the Lord. And let me just say this. To those of you, as I, it's funny, as, as I get more gray hair, I'm more sensitive to folks that are my age, older than me, that have a lot of wisdom and experience in this life. Listen, you have much to offer the younger generation. In fact, it is your responsibility as well as the parents' responsibility to train the younger generation. Not only in, your, in the way you model your love for Jesus, but it's what you say to the younger generation, how, you, how they see you handle the, the disappointments and the heartaches in life. It does speak volumes, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like you're getting through. Here's what happened, though. There was an abdication of leadership in the nation of Israel after Joshua. The elders, the new generation of elders, did not take the mantle. They did not know God themselves nor the works of God because they hadn't been trained and they did not pass it off to the next generation. And can I tell you, that's what's happening in our culture today. They say approximately, I've seen numbers anyway from like 70 to 80% of our youth that grow up in church walk away from their faith. Judges 2, 6 to 15. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites... They went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. So he's now the leader. He's leading them. And notice what verse 7 says. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel because they 
They were serving God. They had leadership that was serving God. The people served the Lord. But notice what happened here, particularly in verse 10. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah, Harry's, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. And after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, look at this, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Without proper training, a whole generation can be lost in one generation. If you want a family that is blessed by God, first, you be the leader. And if you're a young person, you be the leader. Take control of your own life in terms of saying, well, I'm going to serve the Lord. Draw a line in the sand. As for me, and if you have a household, as for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow His commands. I'm going to learn about Him. I'm going to obey Him. As for me and my house, I'm serving the Lord. That's how the blessing in a family begins. And the second thing is this. Godly parents, and I would add to that spiritual elders, older people, must train up the next generation. If not, then what happened to Israel in the time of the judges will happen. We'll lose them. Now think about this. This is such a, a familiar passage of Scripture, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. As parents, grandparents, mature people in the faith, single people in the faith, we have a responsibility to train the next generation. Think about how we train people. Right from the time they, they're an infant, right through adulthood, we have to train them to pretty much do everything. How to comb their hair and clean behind their ears. How to have these little people, small people. What do you call them? What's the politically correct way to say children? You've got to teach them to eat healthy, brush their teeth. We have to teach them, just in terms of education, about life. Help them with their homework and their schooling. We want to make sure that they have opportunities for those things that they, they have potential for, like some of music or athletics. We want to nurture them. We want to train them. We want them to grow. We want them to be healthy. And then we teach them life skills, how to handle money, how to work hard, how to resolve conflict, how to respect your elders. We teach them all these things, all, all wonderful training tools. And it's not easy, is it, parents? so necessary. But why is it sometimes when it comes about their spiritual formation, we take a pass and we say, oh, they'll figure it out, or that's why we have Sunday school or student ministries. And Listen, those things are like little supplements, but the responsibility to train your children in godliness is yours. And think about this. You could give them the best of everything in life, but what does it profit us, parents, if we give our children the whole world and they lose their own soul. The most important command in the entire Old Testament is found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. Actually, Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter 22 when he says, he sums up the 630 plus commandments in the Old Testament, the Torah. He sums them all up in two. Love the Lord your God 
all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He sums it all up right here. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing, the Jordan to possess. Why do we need to be aware of God's commands? Why do we need to obey God's commands? What is the heart of God for us, for His people? So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. How many know the first commandment with a promise is the fifth commandment? Honor your mother and father. Paul says it in Ephesians, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, that it may go well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. God wants us to have a good life and a long life. He wants our families to be blessed. He wants us to be blessed. He wants our children blessed. He wants our grandchildren blessed. And that's only going to happen as we serve the Lord, as we obey the Lord. Hear, O Israel. Hear, Israel. Be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds like blessing, doesn't it? There's a flow to life. There's milk and honey. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's suffering. But in the middle of it all, there's the grace of God. There's the flow. Milk and honey, just as the Lord, the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Oh, I just want my kids to make up their own mind about what they believe. No. Train them. Impress on them. Tell them the stories of the Bible. Tell them your own story, how God has worked in your life, how God has been merciful to you. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We had a pastor on our staff one time, and he had his own idea about that. I remember him specifically saying this. I'm not going to put Bible scriptures up in my house because I don't want to be a bad witness. And this was his logic. I don't want to invite unsafe friends in the neighborhood to my house, and when they walk in, they see scripture all over the place. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. That's not what the Bible says. Oh, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And he did. He lost his family and his children. Got off into sin. You're not smarter than God. And I'm not either. Put scripture up in your house. We used to have in the bathroom, may the, the how does that go? <laughs> Just had a mind blank. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my rock, my redeemer. I would say that every day. I go in the bathroom, I'd see that word of God. Put it up on your fridge. Up above our bed in our bedroom, we have scripture from Song of Songs. I'm not going to quote it to you now. <laughs> Get the Word of God in your house. Talk about it with your kids. Talk, let them see when you're going through a trial in life that you're turning to God. I remember in a couple marked times in our family's history when we were going through a big crisis and I would bring the whole family in and we would kneel at the couch and I would say, okay, we're going to pray right now. We're going to ask God for wisdom. We're going to ask God for help. And press 
your love for God on your kids. Don't let them fend for themselves or figure it out themselves. You impress that. And that is your responsibility. And for elders, spiritual elders in the church, the older, the mature are to teach the younger, train them in the way they should go. I love what my son-in-law does. We, as you know, we, we've moved to VZ where the living's easy. And so what we do is uh, we, we've done all, all different types. We've done public school with our kids. We've done private school with our kids. We've done homeschooling with our kids. We're currently doing private school. And so we take the kids every day and we take my youngest son and uh, my grandson. We'll drive them off in mornings before we come to work or whatever. And I picked up on something my son-in-law does to help my little grandson who's is he six or five? <laughs> you know, I remember my kids' ages, but I have a hard time with my grandkids for some reason. Anyway, here's what uh, Buddy will say to him every day. He'll say, Judah, remember who you are. You're an Ekman, and you're a Christian. And every single day when Judah goes to school, that's what he says to him. Judah, remember who you are. You're an Ekman and you're a Christian. And so I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I'm going to start that with my son, you know? You can learn from the younger generation. And so I'm taking William to school now. William, remember who you are. And I've already taught them who winters are. I've said, winters are workers, because I don't want my kids to be lazy. So if they're like moping around the house, hey, winters are what? And we're workers. All right, go do it. Winters are workers. And so the other day, I'm taking him to school. We always pray before we get to school. Lord, bless him, give him a good day, give him favor with God and man, let him grow in wisdom and stature and the knowledge of you, and just praying over him. And I said, winters are workers. And William goes, you know what else we are, Dad? Winters are worshipers. I said, that's good. I wish I had thought of that myself. <laughs> Your kids will help find their identity in you. You speak over them. You pray over them. I remember when my kids were little, each one of them, I would lay hands on them when I'd put them to bed in their little cribs at night and I would bless them. I thank you, Lord, for this little child that she's going to serve you all the days of her life, that she'll never stray, that she'll accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior at the earliest possible age. Lord, send your angels round about her. Keep her safe in all of her ways. Protect her. Help her. And I remember a period in my life when I was kind of abdicating some leadership in my family because I was busy doing God's work. I'll never forget this one time. I had Olivia, our oldest, was at that age when she was kind of rebellious, you know, that 12, 13, 14. And uh, Lisa was doing a better job parenting than I was. I was kind of absent. I was, I was in my head too much. And she was kind of having an attitude and I wouldn't correct it quickly. And I'll never forget. I don't know if you believe God gives, still gives dreams. I do. I see it all through the scripture, Old Testament and New. Actually, the scripture says this, in the last days, your old men will dream dreams. That must mean I'm getting old. Your young men will see visions. Even on my hand, both men and women, will I pour out my spirit in those days. I'll never forget this dream I had where I was on this raft going down. Yeah, you know, if you can remember a, a dream in detail 20 years ago, it's a good chance God is trying to show you something. Whereas like, I don't know if you've ever been whitewater rafting, but you're coming to the rapids. It can be kind of dangerous, especially for a little kid. And so she's on the raft. She had fallen into the water. It was calm water going by the raft. And 
I looked up, and I used to make a joke about everything. My discipline was all a joke. Everything was a joke to me. And so I see the rapids. I know this, this is danger for this poor little kid. And I reached down my hand and say, hey, take my hand. There's, it's danger up ahead. There's rapids. And she just laughed like she always would when I made a joke out of discipline. And I said, no, I'm serious. Take my hand. And then she comes to the rapids and she went under. And I woke up in a sweat. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. And just in my heart, I heard these words. Discipline your children. I was like a rebuke from God. I was too busy during the day to slow down and listen. And you know what? I repented quickly, but then I, did, I got back into that habit and it cost me big time in her teen years. Thank God for His mercy. And she came back around. And as I said before, she's serving God now. She's a wonderful relationship. She's just so blessed. I'm just so thankful. But for a couple years, it was hell on earth. It was my fault. Listen, we need to train our children. Impress on them our love for God. Impress on them these things that the Lord has taught you. Have a genuine relationship with God yourself and train your children. Amen? Amen. And you'll see the blessing. Let me close with this. The final thing is this. Especially in this hostile environment that we live in, godly families must stand up. We must stand. And what are we to stand for? For God's truth and for righteousness. And this is getting more difficult, increasingly difficult, the more our culture drifts away from God. And that is obviously happening. Paul, in the great warfare passage of Scripture in Ephesians 6, says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Why do you need armor? Because you're in a battle. And we're in a spiritual battle for our children. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and notice what he emphasizes here, you may stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. And what are we to stand in? Stand firm then with the belt of truth. Don't let go of biblical truth. Even when it's not popular, even when it's, you'll be stereotyped and misunderstood and hated. Stand for truth. I took my son recently to a, an open house at a college, and my older son, and uh, I had one of the religious teachers had asked me to come and teach at a, a class, and so I did. I had done that with the college students around, and one of, this teacher had come in, and um, this teacher had been grown up in churches and, and thinks that Christians all judge people and, you know, judge not. How can you say that's wrong? Well, that's a misapplication. Probably the most understood, mis, the most misunderstood thing that Jesus ever said is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. So people take that and they think, oh, you can't judge anyone for anything. That's not what that means, but that's what she thinks it means. So I'm talking to her in the class, and I could tell she didn't agree with what I was saying, but I was still trying to under, uh, make my point clear. Anyway, I saw her at this open house. I'm like, oh, good. Uh, you had asked a real great question. Here's what I, and, and so we got into this verbal disagreement. Not really an altercation in terms, no, fists were flying. <laughs> but, you know, it got a little heated, and I could feel my blood pressure rising a little bit. And I, I remember actually saying this to her, you're not listening to me. And she says, you're not listening to me. And and I just I handled it badly. 
And I walked away, and Joseph was sitting right there watching the whole thing, <laughs> listening. And he's like, oh, great, I get to go to school here. And <laughs> but I walked away, and I thought, and I, Joseph and I were walking around the campus after, and I was just talking to him. I said, you know, I should have handled that better. I, did, I handled that badly. You can stand for truth, and we need to, but we shouldn't do it in an arrogant way, saying, I've got to win this one. And that's kind of what I let myself get to. I didn't kick myself. Why did I do that? I should have asked more questions. I, I wanted her to understand what I was saying more than I wanted to listen to what she was saying. I hope you're watching this, by the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> Point is this. There will be conflict. And we don't always handle it well. But nonetheless, we need to stand for truth. And I like to say it this way, in a loving way, in a respectful way in a kind way, but don't back off truth. And what else do we stand? With the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. Truth, the Word of God, and righteousness living according to what we know. And if we'll stand firm in that, people will notice. Since we moved to VZ, I go by Mount Hope Cemetery every day. And I never realized what a beautiful place a cemetery could be, but that is a gorgeous cemetery. If, if you can think of cemeteries, the landscaping. And a lot of history there. Hannibal Hamlin, Abraham Lincoln's vice president's in there. Anyway, walking through there, or driving through there every day, you come up on Mount Hope just before Quirk Auto there, and the, right on the side of the road, I've noticed this for the past, I don't know, a month or so, there's this guy who stands, he's got a little sign, praying for life every day. Some of you probably have seen this. And I go by early in the morning, I see the same guy every day. Pouring rain the other day. Here he is standing with his umbrella, praying his rosary beads, praying for life, praying for the innocent, praying for little babies. And I'll go, and some mornings I'll see him, he's on his knees. People honk when they go by. People scowl at him. He doesn't care. Why? He's standing for what he believes. He believes in life and he's praying every day, peacefully just praying every day in the rain, in the sun, with the honks, the scowling. He's just standing in what he believes. And I think, you know, I admire that Catholic brother standing for what he believes in. How about you? Are you standing firm in your faith? Or are you wavering? The future of your family will be impacted by your willingness to stand in truth and righteousness. We'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. This is Paul's admonition to the church. He said, listen, guys, be on guard. Be on your guard. And stand firm in the faith. And by the way, be courageous and strong. Because there are those, the days are evil. There are, there are those who hate you just because you name the name of Christ. But we can't hate them back. We need to love them back. For whatever reason, this thought has been going through my mind a lot, and I'll close here in a moment with prayer. And that is, 
Because I used to hear this a lot, you know. It's the Karl Marx view of life. Religion is the opiate of the people. It's Christianity is a, is a crutch for weak, weak-minded people. And I think people that talk like that, they don't understand. So we, we don't hate them for that. We love them. We need to, but we need to understand that it takes strength. And God gives strength when we're weak. It takes courage to live for Christ. Especially in an increased hostile culture that thinks you hate people and stereotypes you and persecutes you. But can I tell you, your faith and your family are worth fighting for. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Draw a line in the sand. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as you do, you'll see the blessings of God in your life and in your family. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these beautiful people that have come today to hear the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for being such a wonderful Father to us. And help each one of us, Lord. Help our students and our young people here. Help our families. Help our mature adults, Lord. Help us all to stand firm in our faith. Let us all have the courage to draw a line and say, as for me and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. Help us, Lord. Give us the courage. And I thank you that as we do, you pour your generous and rich blessings on your people. And that is my prayer for every individual and every household here. Lord, bless the home of the righteous. You do. And let us be those homes that are filled with your righteousness and your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Jay's coming to close us out.